0: over to Pastor Steve.
1: So we are in a series called The Hero Within and in the NLT Judges chapter 6 the angel of God the messenger of God shows up to Gideon he says mighty hero the Lord is with you I'm going to, I promise I'm going to preach on Judges, on Gideon one day. I keep, I keep tempting you. About six weeks ago, five or six weeks ago, I, (laughs) we can, I know, after like the fourth phone, we can have church. After, after five or six weeks, I'm actually going to do part two that I promised six weeks ago to do part two the next Sunday. So right after I talk about being faithful, I humble myself right in front of you and say, I said next week we're going to do this. And I could make excuses, say, well, the Holy Spirit took over my service, and uh, the, the point is, is that you need to let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. So I shouldn't have said I was gonna do it the next Sunday. I should have said, I'll do part two, but I shouldn't have said next Sunday. This is why when you come up to me like, hey pastor, what are you gonna preach on Sunday? You ain't getting an answer. (laughs) I've been really good about doing this for 10 years and then I got sucked into the temptation and I failed. So I apologize, I repent, but we're getting there. God is graceful, God is merciful, God is forgiving, and so he's gonna get us there. Part one was the epic quest one that I was talking about out of Nehemiah. So this is the epic quest part two. We are in the book of Nehemiah. I covered basically the first three chapters. If you don't know where we're at in the book of Nehemiah, then please go back and re-listen to that message. It, won't, it will be easy to find because it's the only message on YouTube that's got like 10 views, and the reason it is is because our YouTube channel was on suspension, and so we couldn't put it up, so people kept asking for it, so they probably had to go to Rumble and watch it. So if you go to YouTube and watch it, it's got like 10, 15 views. If you go to Rumble, I don't know. But that will catch you up to what's going on, so maybe you can go home and watch them both and learn about the epic quest that God is calling you to go on. The hero within is Jesus Christ. He has desired from the beginning, I'm not going to get into deep theology, but the intentions of God in even making humanity was for us to be something that did not exist. There were already angels, there were already the divine council, little G gods that existed on this planet, but God wanted a family, which is very unique. This is what compels folks when they get married, when they get married in a covenant as godly people, this is what drives them to want to procreate, to be fruitful, multiply, because God went. amen. <laughs>
0: Congratulations,
1: Bree. Justin and Bree were just recently married. And, uh, and they're working on being fruitful and multiply. So uh, Bree is, is, is warming up a bun right now. Or a, oven, a bun in the oven. Right. She's pregnant. This is like the day of Justin. I get to tout on him multiple times. You know, I, I preach all the time, and I want you guys to be doers of the word. Listen to what I say. Go out there and do it. Amen. Justin's one of those unique guys that I have a covenant of marriage, and I say, now, be fruitful and multiply. He's like, all right, challenge, accepted." <laughs> Baby. Got purpose. You should live your life like purpose, like Justin. (laughs) I mean, I guess if some of the other things I preach on would be that fun, you'd probably do them more. In Psalm 16, 3, it says, The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes. You could say, based upon what we were just talking about, the faithful people. God is faithful, so to be like God, you're faithful. Amen. It's this faithfulness thing, and man, I I need to disconnect from this, but this faithfulness thing is really important. Ask Ask your spouse, would they prefer you to be faithful or unfaithful? Amen. Ask your bank. If they would prefer for you to be faithful or unfaithful, ask your employer. Think about any relationship that you have with anything on this planet and can you please tell me which one of those relationships would prefer you to be unfaithful? It's so easy for us to be unfaithful to the things of God because the world comes along and says, hey, isn't this more exciting to do this over here? This is better, all that faithfulness. That's for the birds, you should be this way. Wishy-washy, that's way better. The godly, faithful people in the land are my true heroes. God says, I take pleasure in them. God is pleased with heroes that have his character. Of all the things I wanna live my life to do, this is number one. I'm not living my life to please Kay, I'm not living my life to please y'all. I wanna live my life to please my Father. And I believe that if I please my Father, Kay will be well pleased, and y'all will be well pleased. But my goal is one. It's simple. I, I pray that you live your life that way. Don't live to please me, please. Please the Father. I'll be happy. I don't need your, your pastor appreciation gifts. I don't need your thank you cards. I don't need your, your loving text messages. And I'm not saying none of those things don't bless me. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. But if, you, if I had a choice between your thank you card and you just living your life faithful unto God, being everything that you were called to be and pleasing him with every breath and fiber of your muscle tissue Man, I'll take B all day, every day. Colossians one twenty-seven. This is kind of our core text. It says God did this because He wanted you, beloved, to understand His wonderful and glorious mystery. The reason this is mysterious is because nobody in the Old Testament figured out that God actually wanted to live on the inside of us. Thought he wanted to live with us, not in us. And then God came along and turned us into a temple and moved on the inside. And that mystery is that Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Two of you. Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace, the faithful one, the the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. The purity of God's love, the epitome of God's glory, the person of the grace of all of heaven lives on the inside of you. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And he is, he is your hope for sharing in God's glory. The word glory is the Greek word doxa, and it means of high value and high opinion. When you glorify God, God, we glorify you. I glorify thy name. When you're saying that, you mean that you are bringing honor to God. Now, I say honor in 2022, and it means nothing compared to what the Bible recognizes as honor. We don't even have a grid for honor. Even people that are required to be honored in our society today, it is the cool thing to not honor them. That's the cool thing now, right? We hate the cops, we want to we kill them or at least defund them, we, we don't, we don't want to go to church. Only about 6% of, of America today embraces authentic Christianity, less than 3% of Christians, self-professed Christians, less than 3% read their Bible every day, less than 3%. Christians, not the world, Christians. Honoring God is something that doesn't even, it doesn't even hit our adjective spectrum in today. Just the word honor. Honor your spouse. Well, yeah, in their face. I'll be fake about it. The scriptures say those that serve well among you who labor in the word and in doctrine are worthy of double honor. We don't even understand honor. And here the Bible comes along and says, hey, those among you that are doing the right thing in ministry, they're worthy of double honor. What's honor? The glory of God, Christ on the inside of you, is that honor. Think about how the Father feels about Jesus. Think about the honor that God the Father has for Jesus. That's honor. Think about the honor that Jesus showed towards his Father. He literally laid down divinity to do what his Father asked him to do. We can't even lay down our, our addictions, our, our sports, our animal. Oh, I need to stay away from that. <laughs> yeah. We had a dicey conversation on Friday night, my, my daughter, which, by the way, it, she's one week past her birthday today. Her birthday's on the 23rd, and Kay's birthday is today. So... <clears throat> As Ryan and Jess says, the first lady of the house has a birthday, and so they're going to celebrate it. Against my wishes, probably against Kay's wishes, there's some balloons somewhere that Kay hid because she didn't want all y'all to see her birthday balloons that Jess brought. So I, I would appreciate it if you would at least tell her that you love her, if you do. If you don't, then don't. Because she's, she's like me. She likes She greatly values authenticity, so don't say it if you don't mean it. But if you really mean it, then tell my wife you love her. But we were having a conversation because the the kids were over and and we were we had a every every year for Hannah and Kay's birthday since they're so close we take them both out and wherever they want to go and have a thing and come back to the house and eat banana poke cake, and hang out and and Hannah works for Carlson's Carlson's day. Canine, daycare, whatever it is, the dog place. And so she tells me lots of stories <laughs> about people and their pets. And she does it, I think, literally to t- t- just to tempt me. <laughs> She's going to tell me the story about the people who... Uh, there's one person I'm thinking, and this isn't from Hannah, but there's one person I'm thinking, because i just seen this on Facebook, who they, they are literally in poverty. And when I mean in poverty, like the inside of their house is, is almost unlivable. And they just got a brand new $4,000 dog, puppy. And posted and bragged about it on Facebook, that's how I know about it. And quit our church because they uh, didn't have enough gas money to come to the church and they were only coming once a month, so they didn't have enough gas money to come once a month to the church and just bought a brand new four or $5,000 puppy and live in a house that's nearly unlivable. That's demonic, y'all. It's demonic. God is asking us to disconnect, and I'm using that as an extravagant example, but what's going on in your life? What things can you not disconnect from Here's, I'll do this one. How about glowing screens? Because this has happened a couple times today already. (laughs) We can't even walk into church and shut off the phones. And I'm not picking, if your phone went off, I'm not picking, I'm just saying that we're so attached to these things that we can't. I I have been in meetings with people talking about deep, deep, deep things in their life and their phone will go off and they'll be like, oh, hold on, and they'll spend 10 minutes on something and we were right in the middle of deep areas of their heart and their lives. And I get it. That's this is the world that we live in. This is how society works right now, but it doesn't have to work that way with us. I'm I'm not perfect at this. I I look at my phone too, probably more than I should, and probably it's at stuff that well I shouldn't say that I don't. I don't look at, at ungodly things, but I do like the stupid videos, like the fail videos or whatever, and so sometimes I'll watch them for an extra five minutes and I should be doing something else. See, I caught, you caught me. I just <laughs> confessed it to you. Um, but <coughs> my phone has never been off silent since I bought it. And it's two years old or whatever. It's never been off silent. Because I value you, if I'm with you, I'm with you. If I'm with K, I'm with K. Man, think about what that would look like just in our society, just in Beloved. If if it was just us, and you actually valued the person that you're with, so much so that your screen lighting up. is not going to draw you away from ministering to their heart. I'm not saying that this is how we have to be. I'm not making demands or commands on anybody. I'm just dreaming. What would it be if we actually just gave our attention to the one that was in front of us, valued the one that was in front of us? I see the way sometimes spouses treat one another, and I'm, I'm not shocked that they have going on in their marriages and their relationships what they got going on. They don't value each other. They don't, they don't give each other the best parts of themselves. How are you gonna reap anything back? You reap what you sow. You treat your, your spouse like they're a roommate, or worse yet, if, that you're paying them, Because sometimes that's how guys think. I'm working hard. I'm paying this woman to act right. Mm. Man, if that's what you sow into a relationship and then you expect your spouse to just come floating in on a cloud with Jesus oozing from them all over you and giving you the best of who they are, you're giving them 1% of who you are and you expect 100% out of them And how about about with Jesus? You're going to give Jesus, you know, like 8%? But thank God he went to the cross and gave you everything. I don't think that you're getting everything out of that relationship that you can. Jesus is the hope of us having that glory of God. See Jesus the way that he treats the father. See Jesus the way he treats you. You know how unfaithful I've been to God in my life? I violated my covenant of marriage. I violated being a good father. Thank God for my kids and their mercy, because they could have totally been one of those regular kids in today's society that went away and said, yeah, my dad, this and that. And then they need, you know, just like a lot of society now, they have to have a therapist and, But they didn't, they had mercy on me, and they love me. Praise God, God bless them. If you love me, you are operating in the supernatural. And who said that? I'll watch the video. Jesus is faithful to you, Jesus loves you, Jesus gave you everything. Just look at the way Jesus treats you. Jesus is the hope of the glory of God. If you want to see the glory of God manifest in your life, just see the way Jesus treated you and will always treat you. And not even just you, somebody worse than you because maybe you're awesome. How does Jesus treat the people worse than you? You know, even though we're unfaithful to him, he will not show himself unfaithful. He won't say, well, you lied to me. I'm lying back. There's a lot of relationships that are built that way. You know, my wife did this, so I'm going to do that. Hmm. And we know the golden rule is doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And we've changed it in our culture today to do unto others as they're doing unto you. That is not how Christianity works. You treat others the way that you're supposed to, not the way they treat you. This is a courageous way of life. You start living that way, and people are gonna stand up and take notice. And they'll probably call you stupid and foolish. You know what you need to do. I would walk up on these conversations in my restaurants. In my restaurants, I'd hear the one girl, the the third-time divorced girl, talking to the other girl who was married in my restaurant. You know what you need to do, you need to leave that boy. You need to get to stepping. And the, the third time divorce gal counseling, it would be courageous for the girl getting the counsel to say, You know, you know what? I actually <laughs> vowed that I would be married. And so I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to believe. She's, yeah, You're stupid. That's just dumb. Like, thank God Kay was stupid. And she fought through because she, by the world's standard, she should have left me. By the world's standard, Jesus should leave all of us. Jesus does the courageous thing. He stands for you. He believes in you. He fights for you. Even when you're not worth it, in your opinion. But he sees a value that you don't see. Amen. Amen. actually sees more value than you may ever see. Because Jesus is courageous. Courage is contagious, Billy Graham said. When brave men take a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. You see the courage in Jesus Christ, your spine will also be stiffened. Benjamin Franklin said, how few there are who have courage enough to own their faults or resolution enough to mend them. Man, that is strong. One of the things that I love about some of the folks that have embraced the the genuineness and the authenticity of the kingdom culture that we're we are trying to build here is that people are fully aware. Those folks that have embraced that are fully aware of where they're at. They know where they're not, and they know where they're not. And if you don't know these two, you will not have a successful Christian journey. It says in Isaiah that you should look unto the rock From which you were hewn, and look unto the hole from which you were digged. Isaiah is saying, You need to be very aware that you are cut from that rock, Christ. Aye, that's right, Christ in me, the hope of glory. God loves me, God believes in me. I can do all things through Him that strengthens me. Yes, but you also need to know you came out of a hole that you were the worst of the worst. You were chiefest of sinners. Amen. It says in James that if we confess our faults one to another, now James is writing to Christians, y'all. So if you're one of those people that think, well, we're sinless now and we don't have any faults and we're perfect and we float from crowd to crowd, then I'm not talking to you. James and I both are not talking to you. We're talking to the authentic people. James wrote and said, confess your faults one to another. One to another. Not God. You, you know, One of the reasons, you know why? God already knows, y'all. He's living right here. He knows about your faults. The first time you go to God and say, God, I screwed up, he's going to be like, what? You? Not you. He already knew. He knew before you did it. It says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. One of the reasons that we don't confess our faults one to another is because when you do confess your faults in the average church, they're going to say, "Woo! wait till I tell all the girls in the knitting circle about this one. Did you hear about Allie? Mm Mm-hmm, you know what she told me. About Bob. Mm Mm-hmm, yep. I know I thought they were Christians too. doesn't say confess your faults one to another and then go tailbear around all over the countryside, hang out somebody else's dirty laundry, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Man. I just want to, I'm going to say this again from Benjamin Franklin. How few are they who have courage enough to own their own faults, or resolution enough to mend them. The most accepted sin in the Americanized, progressive, modern churchianity today is a four letter F word. That should be the worst cuss word for any of us to embrace. And then the second is like unto it. Fear and feel. If there's one thing that has probably devastated more believers' lives than those two, I don't know what it is. Fear and feel. Fear and feel. If you can just get those two out of the driver's seat of your car, uh, I'll bet you 50 bucks, you're gonna be tracking way truer than you were. You get fear and feel out of the decision-making process, out of how you assess the world, out of, your, out of your discernment. Most people discern by fear and feel. You are not, as a believer, you are not called to discern by fear and feel. You are called to discern by the Spirit. This is something that we were just talking about in our grace group on Wednesday night. One of the, one of the greatest benefits that I will tell you of embracing a spirit-filled life, I mean tongues, I mean gifts of the spirit, healings, miracles, I have seen things that, that few of you may ever see, supernaturally, and I would trade all of the miraculous things that I've experienced for the one benefit of the spirit of God, the indwelling, powerful presence of the spirit of God, which is discernment. I lean on the discernment of the Spirit of God every 10 minutes, every single day, ever since I've embraced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, it didn't really happen until I embraced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I know a bunch of people just want to limp on, I don't want that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that stuff's kind of kooky and weird. Okay, that's fine, live without the discernment. Because most of those people, I don't know any non-spirit-filled person that doesn't discern through fear and feel. Being filled with the Spirit of God is the only way you're going to get out of discernment of fear and feel. One of the greatest benefits that I, that I have seen in my own life, and I can, I can show you scriptures on this and I can show you people in the Bible, one of the greatest benefits of having the indwelling Christ through the Spirit of God living in you and embracing it fully is what I call spiritual acuity. Spiritual acuity, it's seeing things the way God sees things, understanding the way God understands, having God's wisdom for situations, having um, a confidence in a peace, and I ain't got it all figured out, so don't, don't think I'm saying like I've ascended, but spiritual acuity, having discernment and clarity through the Spirit of God. And in the prayer circle this morning when we were talking about some of these things, I had a little mini vision. And what I seen was if you're in a crowd and you're dealing with a situation, you're going to see the situation face to face. And you're going to have whatever perspective you have. And what I seen from the Lord was This is how most of the body of Christ is operating. They're operating face-to-face in the crowd from that level. And then I seen the Holy Spirit, like a drone, fly up at about 100 feet, 200 feet, and show what was really going on. And then I seen everything that was happening in that crowd way different. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to lift you out of these circumstances, these situations, these problems, these issues, and he wants to give you a perspective and look at it the way he sees it. And you're going to have a bunch more clarity or acuity about that situation. Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. Heroes face and defeat the fears that are affecting other people. Be courageous and develop yourself into a hero. Because you are here, you're already being more courageous than the masses. Amen. They're watching football games and buying Halloween costumes for their kiddos. You're doing the unique thing. All heroes go on an epic quest where they engage in a fierce struggle against seemingly stronger opponents only to become transformed as a result of their conflict and victory. When I say the word hero, there are people that probably immediately pop into your head and hopefully it's not cartoons. But the reason David pops into your head is because he killed a giant. The reason J- Jesus pops into your head is because he killed the crawls. Moses, part in the Red Sea, the, the reason that some of these people pop in your head is because they, they went on these huge, epic quests, these, these massive battles, and they fought odds that were against them, and they did things that nobody else does and obtained victories that few other people have. And Jesus wants every one of us to be a hero like that. Our world is desperate for people that live their lives that way. You wanna be normal in today's world? Be as self-centered as you know how to be. You just think about little old you, fake it with your spouse, concentrate on you and what you need and what you like and Everybody living for you, and you are going to be a Joe average, regular, run-of-the-mill person in today's world. Think about others, especially think about getting others out of fear, out of terrible circumstances, you will immediately be a hero. Amen. We're given a choice between sparing ourselves from discomfort, tribulation, suffering, are walking into the unknown, led by the Spirit, unafraid of the quest that He's leading us on. We can sing about Spirit lead me into the waters, where my uh, where my faith and my trust are going to be tested. We can sing these songs. Take me out on the ocean. But can God really? Is it a song that we sing that makes us cry? Or is it a reality of our heart and our lives? Only you know. Walking into the unknown, led by the Spirit, unafraid of the quest. Which would a hero choose? And which would an average person choose, self-comfort or the scariness of the surface of the water? Would the average person choose at home in their Lazy Boy with their bonbons or facing Goliath with Five Rocks? You have to choose. You can be Bon Bon Gal or you can be a giant slayer. Nehemiah is, the, is a story of such a man. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the palace of the most successful, most powerful, most wealthy person that lived on the planet. In a way, he was like the right hand to the king, living in probably the lap of luxury. Everything was taken care of for him. And he was a Jew, living in Babylon, which is where they should have been slaves. So here he was, even unique among his kin. Where the rest of his kin were slaves, and he's a cupbearer to the king. And then some folks show up from Jerusalem and say, and he asks them, How are things going in Jerusalem? And basically they say, It's terrible. The walls are torn down. Anytime somebody wants to come in and loot the city, they can. The people live in constant fear. And Nehemiah does this incredible, unique thing. It impacts him. And, and I say that because we live in a society that just embraced you know, aborting babies, that just embrace uh, crazy, wheels off, things that we're doing to children, where we're cutting off their body parts and calling it good. Where people, uh, where sexual purity is, it's, people don't even, I, if you could ask the average Christian what it is and I don't even know if they could define it. We're, we're so far out of the grid, of the scope, of what God calls right, that we can see these things. And, and just be calloused and turn a blind eye. Yeah, I know that they're doing that to children, but, you know, I got a job. I got to worry about me and mine. Yeah, I know that society is doing that, but I, I got to take care of me. I can't let all the problems of the world be my problem. Thank God God didn't feel that way. And he lets this report impact him and he cries out to God and spends basically the entire first chapter of Nehemiah in prayer and basically asks God to let him help man this is how heroes are born they see something unjust in society, they see something wrong, bad, hurtful painful happening to someone else or to society as a whole and they desire to be the solution. Man, would to God that there were more people being raised up with this attitude. So God basically grants him his prayer. I would say that God is the one that inspired Nehemiah to pray it. So whichever way you fall on this conversation, I'm fine with it either way. Whether you'd say it was God-inspired or Nehemiah-inspired, I'd say yes. And so then Nehemiah looks for the unique opportunity, because this is what good leaders do. Good leaders look for the right opportunity to say the right things to the right people. Amen? Amen. <laughs> You're good leaders. And approaches the king. Artaxerxes and gets the permission to go and deal with the problem that's affecting his people. So chapter two is him showing up, doing all that. We covered all this. Chapter three tells you what's going on with where they're starting the process. They start to build all the gates first and the, and the walls. And this is where I talked about doors and beams and bolts and bars. And then chapter four is where I left off And it starts off in verse 1 and says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and filled with indignation, and he ridiculed the Jews. When you start to embrace being a hero and trying to affect the things that are wrong in society, the things that are wrong in your own family, don't think everybody is going to throw a party for you. The world wants to be dark. The world wants to be lost. They want to embrace their sin. They want to live broken. There are people that I've literally helped be unbroken that spent months and months and months trying to get back to broken. And I just have to leave them. You can't, if you get in front of a dog trying to get back to its vomit, he'll bite you. Amen. Amen. There are people that are not going to be rooting for you to win. I know this is shocking in our society today where everybody gets a trophy for participation, but there's a bunch of people that don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to be successful at the things that God's called you to do. Now, be successful by the world standard, we are way up thumb on that. You can go to Hollywood, take your clothes off, and make a million dollars, and people will name their town after you. Go start a ministry. Amen. You're not going to go into the Steve Castle village. I know. Nobody's named a town after me yet. Verse 2, before his associates and the army of Samaria. Notice that he was furious, filled with indignation, and he was ridiculing the Jews in front of his friends, associates, And the army. Why the army? Because he wanted to create fear in Nehemiah and the people that were doing the right thing. It's one thing to have people complain about you. It's a whole other thing for those people to be influencing folks that have power and authority to cause real damage to you. You're you're a good grown-up Christian if other people's criticisms don't affect your heart. You're an exceptionally mature Christian if other people that have power and control are complaining about you and are gonna take away your job and take away some of the things that are near and dear to your life, like an army that's gonna kill you if you don't line up and do what they want you to do. What are these feeble Jews doing? Can they restore the wall by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Look at all these questions. You know, one of the reasons that the enemy comes to you with questions is to get your mind focused on what he wants you to think about. None of these things are true with God. Are you feeble with God? Nope. If God before you, who can be against you? Can you restore the wall by yourself with God? You can build anything God tells you to build. Every one of these questions only work to cause stress, to cause confusion, to distract people who don't know who's on the inside of them but the enemy will ask. He'll send people to ask. Are you sure you shouldn't get that vaccine? People are dying that aren't getting it. Are you, are you sure you shouldn't play along with what the government wants you to do right now? Are you really sure that you want to fight this battle Pastor? It's not just the enemy speaking to your heart. It's him sending people that look like They have a lot of power to cause you problems if you don't go with their opinion. Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, If even a fox were to climb up on the wall, it would break down the walls. Even a fox. There's always got to be someone that comes along that adds that extra, like, dig. And you got to make a choice. Who are you going to go with? Notice what Nehemiah did in verse 4. He said, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their scorn back upon their own head and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. I do want to recognize the way Nehemiah prayed. Lord. Bless them. Give them everything they want, the desires of their heart. Lord, give them money, free time. He said, Lord, turn their scorn back on their own heads. Let them be taken as plunder in a land of captivity. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to pray this way. (laughs) But I do want you to note Nehemiah prayed this way and I believe he prayed this way correctly. There's a time to pray Lord, give him mercy. Give him, give him love. Squeeze a Twinkie right on them. And then there's times to say, alright Lord, this is in your hand. They've been fighting against me long enough. This government has been working against the church long enough. Lord, It's time for justice. Now, I'm not telling you that this is that time or whatever your situation in your life. Don't you dare go out here and say, you know what Pastor Steve told me to pray. Don't you dare. It better be the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying there is a time to pray. Ecclesiastes makes it really clear. There's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And you better know discernment. This goes back to a previous conversation. You better have discernment in the spirit to know when it's time for war. And when it's time for peace. Because if you're peacing when it's supposed to be war, you're dead. And if you're warring when it's supposed to be peace, you're going to be in prison. Do not cover up their iniquity or let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked the builders. Please understand that when you are doing what God's called you to do, and you know that you know that you're doing what God called you to do, and people fight against you, they do it at their own peril. And I, I, could give you personal, I could give you a dozen personal examples of this where I knew that I was doing what God called me to do, and people came and fought against me righteously. Cooler people than me. And it did not turn to their advantage. So we rebuilt the wall until it was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Why a mind? Because your hands are gonna do what your heart tells them to. Had to load up, I had... Literally 3,000 pounds of bricks and stuff and things that I had hanged on to from doing some landscape or taking out some landscape stuff at my house, and it just been sitting underneath my porch for years, and I finally pawned them off on Ryan and Jess, and they said, "Yeah, we'll take them." So I loaded yesterday over 3,000 pounds of bricks and stuff by myself, and it took me like almost two hours, it was like an hour and 45 minutes to load all these bricks. And the thing that kept me going was, I'm not, start, I'm not doing half this job. And I ain't got time tomorrow, because we got to set up for Harvest Fest, and I'm, I gotta go to Texas, and I got, I, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't get to just take a break. I had a mind to do something that my body was saying, we're done. Amen. <laughs> My back was saying we're done. My arms were saying we're done. My head was, my throbbingness of my head was saying we're done. My legs were saying we're done. Every part of me was saying we're done. And my head, my heart said, we have to finish. And we finished. You can do anything that you are determined to do. They had a mind to work. They were standing in front of a, Another army, they're standing in front of all these naysayers, and they're doing something that they set their mind to do. Then Sanballat and Tobiah, together with the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, and they were furious. And all of them conspired to come and fight against Jerusalem and create a hindrance. They conspired together. No way. Yahweh. Heroes are not affected by their enemies. They are inspired by their divine epic quest. They keep their heart and their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, looking forward, not conformed by the world the world was trying to do everything in its power to get them to stop building the wall when I say building the wall understand our responsibility in 2022 in America as a remnant church is to build the church to build the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ are you doing that only you know I would hate to think that I would get, that I'd be a 60-year-old person, and I'd spent 40 years working, 40 hours a day, whatever that math is, 40 hours a week, tens of thousands of hours, and I didn't build a single brick in the kingdom, and just got me a paycheck and went on. They conspired against Nehemiah. He did not fear. He did not become intimidated. He did not even seek revenge by his own hand. He took the problem directly to the Lord and received wisdom on what he was supposed to do. Verse 14, after I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Remember the Lord. I'd, I'd like for you to notice that these things are conjoined. They're conjuncted. Do not be afraid and remember the Lord go together. You can't just not be afraid. The world's a scary place. You have to not be afraid by remembering the Lord. And when you remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, notice that you're remembering the Lord that's great. Verse 14. Oh, yep, sorry. Yes. Who's great and awesome. You're you're not just remembering the Lord. Oh, Lord, be with me. Kumbaya. Don't you see him coming? Kumbaya. Who's great and awesome. The God that lives on the inside of you. Does he need to make a sidewalk in the Red Sea? Wham! Is there somebody dead that shouldn't be? Wham! What you got? You gotta remember the Lord who's great and awesome because the fear tries to be great and awesome. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. First, it's remember God, then you fight for what you love. Heroes fight for what they love, and they fight because they love. Verse 15, then our enemies heard that we were aware of the scheme and that God had frustrated it. Each of us returned to his own work on the wall. And from that day on, half of my servants did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. And I'm out of time here, but I want you to recognize what Nehemiah did in 52 days. He built these walls in 52 days. Ezra, who was the priest who built the temple, was there for 50 years. Ezra could not get the walls built in 50 years. Nehemiah got done in 52 days what Ezra couldn't do in 50 years. If God be for you, who can be against you? And one of the reasons they did this is because they worked with one hand and they held their weapon with the other hand. I'd love to take off on a Second Amendment tangent right here and tell you that one of the reasons that we haven't been overwhelmed by communist, socialist, leftist, people is because we have the second amendment. I don't care if you like guns. I really don't, you don't have to, but you better like the fact that somebody around here likes guns and they are gonna defend their God given rights to protect their families, to protect their nation, to protect their homes. Because if you're gonna be waiting on the cops to come and show up and help you, praise God. And I'm I'm not turning this into some kind of political thing by talking about the Second Amendment. I'm telling you the Second Amendment came from this biblical principle that if you don't defend and guard with everything that you got, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. If you don't defend and guard it, you will be overwhelmed by the enemy. You have to build with one hand and defend with the other hand. And you'll be able to accomplish in 52 days what other folks took 50 years and never got done. And there are tons and tons and tons of testimonies throughout this entire book. So please go read Nehemiah and and recognize how incredible this situation was. He worked against the government, he worked against the political system, he worked against the religious system, he even worked against the whining of his own people. If he could get it done, so can you. What's going on in our world ain't any different than anything else that God with his people have ever faced before. I would honestly say this ain't nothing compared to what God has done. So he's calling you, church, to build his house, to build his kingdom. I'm just gonna read these verses real quick. This is out of Haggai. This is at the bottom, sis. I'm just gonna read these, and then we're gonna pray. Or I'm going to bless you. Haggai chapter one verse two. Just listen to this, please. This is what the Lord of Hosts says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your own paneled houses, while this house lies in ruins? Now this is what the Lord of hosts says. Consider carefully your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but never get warm. You earn wages to put them in a bag pierced through. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Consider carefully your ways. Go up into the hills. Bring down lumber, build the house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but behold, it amounted to little. And what you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. Would to God those not be the words that God would speak to our generation. The kingdom of God, the church in America today is on the brink of lying in ruins and he's calling you and me to be a solution to that problem. You are gonna have to be courageous. You're going to have to be a hero. You're going to have to fight against religious opposition, against political opposition, against financial opposition, and against your own personal, intimate opposition. And if you do, you're going to build the house of the Lord. And if you are concentrating on building the house of the Lord, the kingdom of God, what does he get to do for you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Please rise, I'd like to bless you.
0: Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life.
1: I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.